Welcome to the Wealthsteading Podcast. This is episode 409. Today is April 12th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hey, how about those markets? We are almost exactly one month since banks started to fail. That was right around March 10th. I know a lot of people were panicked. There were huge predictions about, oh, you know, the typical stuff. ATMs are going to run out of cash. And then just in a couple days, there won't be any more diesel fuel at the gas stations. And of course, it'll snowball from there. It'll be a catastrophic avalanche. Within three days, the grocery store shelves will be bare. Riots and civil unrest will break out in the large cities. Uh, and you know how it goes from there. I know, I know some of you are still holding on to that. And you know that just any minute now, the financial system is going to collapse. But you're going to be just fine because you still have your generator and your MREs from Y2K. In any case, hey, again, how about those markets? You know, I have been very concerned for over six months now. I've moved to primarily cash. I've got pretty much 90% in money market funds. And side note to that, I, I hear from a lot of people that say, well, well, John, should should I be moving my money to money market funds? I have no idea what you should do. Right? The, this podcast is not financial advice. It's not about what you should do. I simply use the Wellsteading podcast as an opportunity to tell you what I do and my thoughts and reasons for that. You can draw your own conclusions. You can take what I say with a grain of salt. You can do whatever with the information. It is free to you, and it's therapy for me. In any case, quickly, I want to do just a real quick market review. I want to tell you that I remain concerned that prices of the market are going lower. And concerned doesn't mean that I'm paranoid you know, about some big meltdown. I've been saying all along here that we may not see a big pullback in the stock market nor may we see a recession because literally, and as long as I've been doing this and really going back throughout history, I can't think of when more people have been anticipating a recession. So the very likelihood of the recession, you know, the probability of it goes down or the magnitude of what kind of a disaster it could create, that all goes down and becomes more shallow because more people anticipate it doesn't mean that we won't have a recession. It does just mitigate some of that risk. But I'll also reiterate here, I am about 90% in cash. I'm not buying into this rally. I didn't buy into it earlier in the year. I'm not buying into it now. My concern is not about global or U.S. or any other type of instability. My concern is about declining corporate profits. We'll get to that in a second. Let's focus on the S&P 500 for a minute, and let's go back about a month ago when a couple of those banks started to fail, people started panicking. You heard me say that it wasn't a concern at all. I didn't see any of that as a black swan event, um, nor did I see the collapse of something like FTX, a black swan event, because a black swan event is something that comes out of the blue. It's unanticipated. A collapse of FTX, which was nothing more than a scammy pyramid Ponzi scheme, that wasn't a black swan event. That was to be expected. Neither, in my opinion, was 
the failure of a couple banks last month, uh, nor will you know failures in the future of banks be a black swan event. Especially, again, in this environment we're in, I've been calling it a controlled burn of the economy. It's, it's a slow controlled burn of the economy, but the Federal Reserve has put up fire breaks to try and contain inflation. And just like those fire breaks would do, you know, if you were the Forest Service, you're destroying a certain part of the forest to contain the fire. Federal Reserve's willing to do the same thing. They're willing to come in and destroy certain aspects of the economy. And I know the half-glass pessimistic among you are saying, but, but, but what about Credit Suisse? Listen, Credit Suisse is a disaster. It has been a disaster for probably a decade. It's right up there with Deutsche Bank. And if Deutsche Bank failed, that also would not be a black swan event. It would also not be catastrophic because just as the Swiss government stepped in to fully back up Credit Suisse, the German government would do exactly the same thing for Deutsche Bank. Again, these are not failures of the system. They're just the way the system works. It's the way it's designed. You may not like it. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just telling you that when it comes to investing, and actually when it comes to most things in my life, the way that I found out to be most prosperous and most peaceful is to simply learn how to play the hand that I've been dealt. People adjust and markets adapt. And speaking of adaptation, again, look at the S&P 500. Just prior to the bank failures, you had the S&P 500 finding support at its 200-day moving average. The announcement of those couple bank failures put things into a panic. And you had, oh, I don't know, maybe a little more than a week and a half where the S&P 500 was below its 200-day moving average but it found support at that level. And then as that fear dissipated, the S&P 500 has gone on to not only break out above its 50-day moving average, but it's pretty darn comfortable above that 50-day moving average, you know, right now trading at more than 4,100. That's pretty impressive. Now, I don't necessarily think it's wise, but it is impressive. And one of the reasons I do think that it went up as high as it has is that volume has been light. So if you look at the overall price and volume action, and again, I'm specifically talking about the S&P 500, you'll see that it has had a nice recovery, but the people that have migrated in and rushed in to buy that dip, they've done so in much smaller numbers than what we've seen in the past. Now, how many of those investors are smart money versus dumb money? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how things play out. Again, I want to reiterate, I did not jump in and buy the dip. I remain concerned, has nothing to do with the financial system or the banks or anything else. My pessimism is not derived from a concern about the banking or the financial system. I continue to worry about declining corporate profits and the fact that it looks to me like valuations and even the estimates of future corporate earnings are just way too high for where they should be. This is one of the primary reasons that I've been concerned since October. I think it's the big elephant in the room that most of Wall Street is ignoring. I think the emphasis and the enthusiasm that we've seen uh, really all this year in the stock market has been derived from the fact that the Federal Reserve will eventually not be so restrictive and that inflation is coming down. Now, again, none of that is a surprise. It's all part of the business cycle. I talked and talked infinitum last year about why I thought 
the big sell-offs last year were all head fakes because we saw inflation peak back in March of 2022, and that's in terms of things like copper. Those peaked around March of 2022, and if we were in some big hyperbolic super cycle of hyperinflation, copper wouldn't have peaked, but it did. And incidentally, look where it is right now. So just like last year when I wasn't afraid of all the hyperinflation, well, consequently this year, I'm not exuberant about the lack of inflation. And nor do I think that the Federal Reserve is necessarily going to ease up on their tightening. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't stop raising interest rates. I mean, we're at the point now we're at five. We may go to five and a quarter. The talking heads' opinions on that fluctuate from day to day or hour to hour, but it really doesn't matter because inflation is still running hot. We're up in that 5% range, which is about where the Fed funds rate is, and I think they have to keep it at that level if they're serious about fighting inflation. Now, that's the caveat, and that, again, may be a reason why we don't go into a deep recession or maybe no recession at all because we don't know what the Federal Reserve will ultimately do. I think they're going to remain tight. I think they're going to remain restrictive. I think they're going to do this controlled burn of the economy, where they keep rates high, where they discourage new home sales and uh, primarily residential-type real estate. I think they want to keep a lid on that. I think they want to keep a lid generally on the economy. I think they want to bring down new and used car prices. They're going to do all that by controlling interest rates. But they have a lot of other tools in their toolkit besides just interest rates, and that comes into this controlled burn of the economy. And this is why the ATMs aren't going to run out of money, or the banking system in the U.S. isn't going to collapse because the Federal Reserve is there to pump any needed money into the system. Now, going back last summer, I think it was June or so, where they started letting the debt retire on their balance sheet. And so it was up around nearly $10 trillion. I think it was like $9.6 trillion, somewhere along those range. And, and I'm talking Federal Reserve balance sheet. Okay, they started letting that mature and roll off. Well, once those bank failures started to hit before the week was out, we're talking just over a couple days, the Federal Reserve added to their balance sheet another $300 billion. They had gone the previous 10 months where they took off about $600 billion, and within a couple days, they added $3 billion to that number. And now that we're a month into this, they've added in excess uh, totally of over $4 billion since the banking crisis occurred back in mid-March. So the Federal Reserve, while I believe they will keep interest rates at a restrictive rate, they're going to go in with their firebreak mentality and support certain segments of the economy that they want to favor. And it should come as no surprise to anyone that a sector of the economy that they're going to favor is the banking and financial sector because that's who the Federal Reserve is. Now, again, don't get mad at me. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Ah, but I digress. By the way, Mrs. Pugliano hates when I say that, which, you know, could explain why I say it so much. But in any case, look at the scoreboard. Look at the S&P 500. Even though volumes have been weak, it is significantly above both its 50- and 200-day moving average. This is a major level of resistance. I personally hope it doesn't break through because, again, I'll reiterate, I'm 90% in cash. I'm looking for a pullback, 
so I can buy in at a better price, I think we are going to get that pullback because valuations and estimates for corporate profits just look crazy too high. And the problem with this, though, is that analysts that cover Wall Street, their reports and their analysis are about two levels above numerology. I always say you have to take it with a grain of salt. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. If you go back a little more than a month ago, go back about six weeks, none of the analysts were predicting gloom and doom for the banking and financial sector. Their profit projections, especially for regional banks, were pretty much just generally flat. Now, once banks started to fail, you had analysts coming out of the woodwork, which have all now revised their forward growth projections for banks down, you know, in some cases, anywhere from 30 to 60%. But nothing changed when we saw those banks fail in terms of forward analysis, or nothing should have changed. There were no surprises there. Like I say, these were not black swan events. You've heard me say at infinitum for more than three years that when interest rates go up, the principal value of your bonds go down. And so one of the reasons that people were all panicked about the banking system is all these unrealized losses. Because banks have major concentrations in things like treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. But none of that materialized or was a revelation in the middle of March when the banks were failing and when analysts were revising their profits lower. We knew this was going to happen. We knew it was happening. And it just didn't happen in March, right? This has been going on since all last year and really even the year before that when interest rates were all the way down to near zero. As interest rates go up, principal value of existing bonds goes down. It's not a surprise, and there can't have possibly been any analyst that covers those banks on Wall Street that didn't have that built into their spreadsheet. And no one cared about those unrealized losses prior to March, and pretty much no one cares about them at this point either because they are irrelevant. Because none of those bonds are planned on being sold. So as long as the banks hold those bonds to maturity, there isn't a loss. And to even sweeten the deal, the Federal Reserve, and again, this is no surprise to anyone, you knew this was going to happen, the Federal Reserve has come in and said, well, we're going to backstop the system. If you need cash, we'll buy those bonds back or we'll, we'll use those bonds as collateral on their par basis. And so that's one of the reasons why the Federal Reserve's balance sheet has shot up by more than $400 billion in like five weeks because they're taking all that underwater or unrealized losses from these bonds back onto their balance sheet. It's just a shell game. And that's not an indication that the system's failing. That's an indication of how the system works. I'm digressing here, but you get the point, though. No analyst on Wall Street would have or should have been surprised by these unrealized losses because they're not really unrealized losses to begin with. It's a shell game. Now, where the real bank profitability is coming into question isn't from these unrealized losses, but it's from the migration of deposits out of banks and into higher-paying instruments like money market funds. But again, no one on Wall Street that has half a brain would be surprised by this. The movement out of short-term, low-interest-bearing accounts like uh, you know checking or, or savings accounts 
the money that's been moving out of that since last, uh, at least the end of the year, maybe October, November of last year, the amount of billions of dollars every day that's coming out of that, it, it's gone up in recent months because people finally are getting wise to, you know, why should they keep their money in these accounts that aren't making any money? But it's been going on since at least October. No one on Wall Street, certainly no bank analysts, would be surprised or blindsided by that. And where this comes into a profitability aspect for the banks is, is if they want to retain those deposits, they're going to have to pay more. They're going to have to raise the yields that they pay on those, and that's going to come out of their profits. Again, that should not surprise anyone. And likewise, there's less refinancing going on. There's less home purchases going on. None of this is a surprise. This is all simply part of the slow, controlled burn that the Federal Reserve is responsible for. And again, who's the Federal Reserve? They are the banking system. No one that's a bank analyst was surprised by any of the things I just said, and yet they didn't pull down their targets for bank profitability until after a couple of the banks started to fail. And so you may be asking, well, why do you even bother factoring in fundamentals into your calculations if you can't count on the numbers? Well, because it's just what we have to work with. You have to play the hand you're dealt. And once again, that's the way this system works. I also believe it's very important to factor fundamentals into my overall calculations of where I think stock prices are going, because ultimately, I'm talking ultimately over the long, long term, Fundamentals are what really every stock price is derived from. Over the short and near term, it's based on expectations. This could be irrational exuberance. It could be pessimism. It could be a lot of expectations short term. But eventually, over the long term, real fundamentals do play out. And profitable growing companies continue to grow. Their stock price goes up. And likewise, unprofitable poorly run or out-and-out scam companies, they eventually get lower and lower stock prices and go out of business, right? That's effectively why the economy and specifically things like dollar cost averaging into the S&P 500 works over the long run. And I'm not a huge proponent of dollar cost averaging. So again, don't send me hate mail on this. I am a market timer. And that's exactly why dollar cost averaging into the S&P 500 works because the S&P 500 is not static. The S&P 500 is consistently changing. Good companies, growing companies are being put into the S&P 500. Old, slow, unprofitable dogs are taken out of it. So the S&P 500 itself is a market timing mechanism. Ponder that one for a minute, and it'll answer a lot of the questions you guys send me. But in any case, back to corporate profits. We know that corporate profits hit a peak in 2021. That was with all the stimulus spending, all the easy money. We know they're in decline. What we don't know is we just don't know how much. And again, you can't rely solely on the analysts on Wall Street because before the end of last year, they weren't predicting a peak in earnings and they had to go back and revise those numbers. And this is where reality can't be disputed. So once the true numbers for 2022 came out, the analysts had to go back and they revised their numbers lower. They just said, oh, yeah, we made a mistake. Fourth quarter earnings came in maybe almost 5% lower than what we thought. 
but they held their high expectations for 2023 and a lot of them hedging that too, saying, eh, yeah, the first quarter, first half may be bad, but you know, we're going to make it up in the second half. But you know what? Now that the first quarter's over and earnings are going to be announced here in the next couple weeks through a month or so, we're already seeing that they've brought those first quarter estimates down by, in some cases, a good five and a half or close to 6%. That's just for first quarter of this year. And that's on top of that, of that downward revision that they did for the fourth quarter of last year. And yet the valuation, the multiple that investors are willing to pay has not come down. So corporate earnings are coming down. Corporate estimates are coming down. But valuations are remaining high and, in my opinion, excessively high. They're in that range of 19, 19 and a half times. Again, they're hard to calculate because we don't really know what earnings are going to be. They could be substantially higher than that if some of the fears that aggregate S&P 500 earnings are going all the way down to 185 or you know 195. That would put current valuations at nosebleed levels. And so at this point in the market cycle... For me and my money, I would rather remain sitting on the sidelines with my vast majority in cash, ready to be deployed at a second's notice whenever I think there's a good buying opportunity. And just like we saw the bank analysts overnight lower their expectations on where bank earnings are going to be, I think you'll see that in other segments of the economy. You know, consumer spending, real estate. I mean, just look at Things like insurance companies. You're not really seeing any big headline news about how unstable pension funds and insurance companies are. But publicly traded insurance companies have sure gotten their stocks whacked. And that makes sense because all this controlled burn of the economy that's having a negative impact on the banking sector would likewise be having as much or worse of an impact on pension funds and insurance companies. So watch corporate profits. I'd also encourage you to watch things that are really good gauges of the economy. That's like the price of copper. Uh, to a lesser extent, the price of oil. Those lower demands for things like fuel and copper are what I believe are providing us with some insightful impact that the economy is slowing down, not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy. And that means ultimately lower corporate profits, at least for the near term. Well, hey, how's it all going to work out? I can't predict the future. I don't know. For now, I'm comfortably sitting in cash. Come on back and see how this all works out in future episodes. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.